Hi, Mr. Schmid. I uh, had a few ideas as I was listening to this one, and they keep kind of escaping, so I'll try to say them before they get away again. One of them had to do with the uh, the symbol of the staff. I liked how he talked about the tree and that, and, and I was thinking about um, my own uh, classes in school, you know, in middle school or somewhere along the line. We read uh, a book where the symbol wasn't a staff, but it was a, a conch shell. Um, Lord of the Flies, that's it. And in Lord of the Flies, the kids are stuck on the island, and they know that they need to have some kind of order, so they uh, organically, you know, create this uh, hierarchy among themselves where they pass the conch shell around. And uh, I was interested, yeah, I was interested uh, what you what you thought about uh, that as an image where it's sort of this, instead of a tree, it's, it's something that comes out of the ocean. Instead of a, a phallic image, it's a lot more feminine image. Um, you know, thinking about uh, those Georgia O'Keeffe paintings, it's, you know, the same kind of image and, and and it's one that comes about, um, you know, out of out of the children them, themselves rather than from a top-down kind of uh, oppressive, uh, you know, e- mentality. Uh, and the other thing that this episode made me think about when you're talking about the the, the Platonic dialogue and uh, the the poet, the rhapsode, yeah, that that struck a chord because uh, hearing about these these kinds of stories, I always want to compare. I guess two kinds of ways of uh, of talking about stories. Where, uh, yeah, on the one hand, you have the the pure kind of storyteller. Uh, you you might think uh, idealized as the rhapsode. There, he tells the story without really thinking about what it means, or if he does think about it, it's not it's not in a very analytic kind of way, right? And then on the other hand, you have the other extreme where maybe it's like a, a lecturer in a college or something who knows the story very well, but um, doesn't really tell the story. You know, they, they sort of just analyze the story. They pick it apart and they tell you a lot of things about the story and all the context and maybe all the symbols, right? So like, you know, the conch shell, it's one of the first, you know, symbols that we seize upon learning to read in school or whatever. Um, and I just... I'm interested in what you think about that as like a, a spectrum, you know, two extremes. On the one hand, the pure storytelling. On the ex- other extreme, the analytic uh, uh, talking about the story. And and where where you fall within that, right? You're sort of telling the story, but along the way, you're expounding upon the. Yeah, I I think that's that's pretty much it. This uh, this this machine, this anchor thing. I I can't really seem to get it to work very well, but. Uh, hopefully this gets to you, and uh, hopefully you have some thoughts about it, and the conversation continues. Uh, I'm looking forward to the next episodes of your podcast, and uh, yeah, take care. Welcome back to the Alexander Schmidt Podcast. This is episode 014. We're going to take a quick moment here to step away from the story and answer a call-in question. A friend of mine from graduate school, Wesley Chance, who's been a teacher for longer than I have, called in, and he had two major questions to share with me. So I'll include his call-in which I think is, um, well, if he starts a station, you may want to listen to him. It's an, his calling is very, 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 very smart. His questions are, I think, very deep, well-founded, creative, and intelligent. And so in addressing them, I, I wish to confer my highest gratitude not only for receiving such wonderful questions, um, but also for having a friend who can ask such questions. So first off, the conch shell. The conch shell is used by those in in Lord of the Flies. So, first of all,
First and foremost, I should make a confession, and since I'm not a traditional literature teacher, I don't particularly care about this fact, but I never had the opportunity to read Lord of the Flies, or rather, I've never made the time to. Um, I'm sure it's a perfectly good book, and I understand the basic premise about it and its claims about the state of nature. Um, and, you know, perhaps if somebody asked me to, I would read it and analyze it, but I just haven't had the time to. However, as a symbol, I agree with you, a symbol, uh, or excuse me, a conch shell from the sea, well, that, that indicates femininity at several different levels. The first one is that it comes from the sea, the sea, Maria, like Virgin Mary. That is the primordial mother from which all things came, both in mythology and scientifically speaking. Um, and as we know from recent research, uh, there's, there's a major confluence or consilience happening with these fields of study, which is deeply interesting. And I, I know you're very familiar with this and the work of Dr. Jordan B. Peterson and Ray Kurzweil and some of the cognitive developmental theorists that are doing some good work right now uh, and practically applying it. So the conch shell is a feminine symbol because it comes from the sea. It's also a feminine symbol because it acts as a shelter or protection or home for another creature. Um, and in so embodying the home, well, what does a woman do? Well, she embodies the first home of man or woman, of anything. And so woman in housing man acts out the same role as earth housing man or all natural things which create. So any house of something is by nature a feminine symbol. And third, well, what can come out of a conch shell? Well, you can pour water out of it. What does that mean? Well, water flowing out from nature represents wisdom because it's the natural progression of all things, something following its natural path. And so, uh, so just as, say, a river follows its natural uh, stream down, unless it's a Nile, so does the wise human follow his destiny though he must use his choice to do so, and of course, his, because he uses his choice, he will make frequent errors. Um, and perhaps you might say that that's what the bends and, and rivers and the crannies sort of represent. And one, I imagine, hopes to be the sort of river that makes it to the ocean, and not one that ends up simply in a lake or a crag or especially a swamp. And so, it strikes me that the symbol there reflects the wisdom you're supposed to share when you're in sort of a seminar environment or a conversational environment with those around you. And because of that, it indicates a certain democracy to me, a democratic element that's missing from the staff. Because the staff indicates a hierarchical society, um, even though he who wields the staff is not necessarily the one who wields it best, as we've seen mounting evidence for as we go through the Iliad, even only to book three. We see Odysseus over and over again inscribing things, using words, tools, and methods more effectively than even Agamemnon or anybody else. And his glories are just going to keep mounting quietly to his name as he um, effectively wields that source of power. So I would say that the conch shell is both a feminine symbol as opposed to a masculine symbol. It's a more democratic symbol as opposed to a hierarchical symbol, and that it's a symbol of um, unity in an egalitarian respect in terms of sharing one's wisdom, whereas um, the, the staff is a symbol of totality, um, 
and, and unity, <coughs> but in a far more masculine and hierarchically ordered way. Um, so on to your second question. You mentioned the two modes of storytelling that are at the very least alluded to, but really borne out in Plato's Ion, that of telling the story in a creative sort of way and of analyzing as well. The moment you said that, it reminded me of a passage in William James in his um, two-volume set of The Principles of Psychology. And in one of the chapters entitled Reasoning, he considers the subject of genius. And on the subject of genius, he divides the types of genius into two. The intuitive type capable of making wide-ranging analogies and of creative uh, potential. In fact, he actually does cite and uh, quote Homer here, which I think is a beautiful bit of synchronicity. Um, or something more, and, and he contrasts the intuitive mode of genius with the analytical or drier mode, as he calls it, and he in fact makes the argument that some might make the argument that the analytical mode uh, of reasoning is higher than the intuitive because it is newer in terms of cognitive function. Intuitions, of course, are uh, basic recognitions of patterns that uh, Carl Jung, at the very least, says would have been a uh, primitive form of thought, which would eventually develop in the more rational functions of uh, thinking and feeling. And, um, and if you read Ray Kurzweil and his most recent book on how to build a brain, he talks about the fact that the brain is essentially created to observe patterns, which I would say is basic um, intuition, um, but that analytical reasoning is much harder because that's not what it's built to do. But to answer your, your question, I would agree with that general distinction, and I would also mention the last thing William James says. He says, yes, there are these two modes of genius. However, there are special cases where they get mixed. And he gives, of course, the epic ancient example of Plato. And then he gives a more modern example of somebody with whom I have no familiarity called M. Tane. And I'd actually be very interested to know who that person is to uh, be worthy of what I would consider essentially the highest distinction possible from William James. And well, if you were to ask me what my project is and why I deliver on the method I do, I would say, on the one hand, it's just what's always made sense to me. I had very little training when I went into teaching, so I just did what I did, and this is what has happened. I have since received a license and a credential, but I would say that with all the classes I took, they did very little to affect my style of teaching, and they did zero to affect my content. So, when you draw those poles, and you say that this might be something in the middle, I would say that that is exactly what we are aiming at right now. Um, we are taking the bow of Apollo and aiming it at truth through art. So the idea is to express accurately and well the story with feeling and emotion in it as it would have been told, while also taking special moments apart in order to show just how special they are to add to the richness of the experience. You might imagine that this is an abstraction on a wine tasting or a coffee tasting for connoisseurs. All people who exist, especially people who speak the same language, inhabit the same modes of thinking to some extent or another. Many of those modes of thought 
are based on more uh, primitive or earlier versions of the same thoughts. And so the Iliad is basically the same story we've all ever heard with slightly different characters, slightly different accents, slightly different clothing, and slightly different events. But in so unpacking the episode and also providing the emotion which we can still connect to, we see ourselves in it. <clears throat> and we see, importantly, the ways in which we'll always be the same. And then, just as importantly, the ways in which we differ, which we don't care for. And so, in seeing the virtues of the past, which we continue to this day to admire, we have the opportunity to see that which we would like to embody as admirable ourselves. And so, if a person from today, for example, were to feel disenchanted and disheartened by his or her surroundings, he or she might have the opportunity then, following the ways of the ancients, or whomever they admire, to bring something into the world that he or she wishes had been there all along, and which perhaps, at least potentially, had. And so that would be my response to your two questions. The last thing I would mention is that uh, you mentioned at the end you seem to get a little bit upset with the Anchor technology, and I, I would say that I too have not mastered the Anchor technology. I've been cut off on the last two podcasts of mine. Uh, it is a little clumsy, and I totally agree. And, uh, well, just please keep calling in. Also, I would like to tell listeners that before I gave this response to Wes, he agreed to appear on the show, and in the next few days, we're going to have a conversation 30 minutes to an hour long, maybe a little longer or a little shorter, depending on whether we have much to say or not. And we're going to hash out some of these issues together. This has been the Alexander Schmidt Podcast, episode 014, addressing Wes's questions. Thank you.